What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Team Chat Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined by Rachel Mogan. Bonjourno. Bonjourno. We realized before we start <laughs> we started recording, I was telling Mogan that when I was editing last week's episode, I realized for the first time ever, I forgot to say our names in last week's episode. That is mind blowing. I know me because and neither how did of us neither of us catch it. Neither of us noticed. And no. if you hadn't said it when we were starting, I would never have even. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought of it. I was editing and Which, just go, going through the normal thing. And then I was putting on the gra- – what made me realize it is I was putting our name graphics in the video version, and which you can watch on YouTube.com slash C slash Team Chat Podcast. And when I was doing that, I realized I was like, wait, I didn't say her names. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm having an identity crisis right now I know. because of it. Because it, it, like at this point, we do have – it's the theme. Like I say, I say who, my name. I say your name. You ask me how – you say Bongiorno, and then we talk about how we've been last week. We didn't do any of that. We just bl- blazed right over it. We're, we're, we're off the rails. Off the rails. But you know what's not off the rails? Our discussion of video games, which we like to talk about here on Team Chat Podcast, a weekly video game show where, like I said, we talk about games, ones we love, ones we hate, and everything in between. New episodes come out Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Central Time, and you can listen to those on podcast services around the web, as well as watch a video version on YouTube, like I already mentioned. You can find us on social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you can join our Discord server. Links for all that are in the description below. Finally, we are a completely listener-supported show, so if you are really loving and enjoying what we're creating each and every week, head over to patreon.com slash Team Chat Podcast, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can support the show, and in return, we'll give you cool perks like getting the episodes early before the general Tuesday release, and access to a private, patron-only Discord channel, the Rogues Gallery. Now, what happens over on the Rogues Gallery that makes it so special and different? Well, obviously, you can talk to Mogan and I there, which you can do in the normal Discord, but in the Rogues Gallery channel, we also will show off content that we don't show to the general public like behind the scenes from that we cut from recordings and stuff like that some of those videos are pretty funny they are pretty funny they do get pretty giggly what was the small set of islands that we were arguing was probably ours and not england's bermuda so we put that so we put that on there we, we also like uh what this last week i did also release a reaction video for the star wars jedi fallen order trailer and i put that up on in that channel early as well before doing that so lots of fun stuff happens there that doesn't normally get shared with the rest of the discord so head over to rogues gallery head over to patreon.com slash team chat podcast where you can join at any tier and gain access to the rogues gallery it's a lot of fun over there but before we get into our main topic of the day let's get some news aka some upcoming releases or what's currently out now in our moment with Mogan. All right. So as you may have known from the previous few episodes in the month of April, it is an action-packed week of ga- excuse me month of games. Mm-hmm. So in case you missed it, last week on April eighteenth, Cuphead officially released on the Switch. Oh, today as and, of a recording. Yeah, yeah, as of this recording date, Cuphead is out on the Switch. So we are super excited about that. That is Jared has actually you've played Cuphead. Haven't I have you? Pl- played it on I have Xbox. Not beat it. Yes, but honestly. Like, the Switch is what I would play it on more. I mean, it feels so natural to Switch. Yeah. I'm really excited to see so this game about it again. It's make only 20 it to bucks. the Switch as a platform, just because it's it feels so natural oh, yeah. to the type of game that it is. And then also recently come out is Our World is Ended, a optimistic-sounding name <laughs> uh, for a game that's come, that came out for PS4 on April 19th. And then on April 23rd, we have Dragon's Dogma Dark Arisen for the Switch. Also on April 23rd, we have Mortal Kombat 11 for PS4, Xbox One, Switch, nice. and PC. Mortal Kombat 11 arguably looks like one of the um, more interesting and fun uh, fighter games that I've seen 
really since Tekken 7. Yeah. I'm just kidding. There have been other games, but like Smash Ultimate, for oh, example. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Just ignore that. And then coming soon, we have Box Boy and Box Girl for the Switch on April 26th. That one looks really cute. So fans of the Box Boy series will know kind of the format of these types of games. This is a new game. This is Box Boy plus Box Girl for Switch, April 26th. We also have Days Gone oh. for PS4, April 26th as well. Long-awaited PlayStation 4 exclusive from Bend Studios. Ooh, I'm, the more that one get is getting closer to release date, I haven't had really strong feelings for it. I am excited for it, but I think also like either no, it's in May. Rage Two doesn't come out until May. But I'm trying to decide between which one of those I want to go for: Days Gone or Rage Two. I keep forgetting about Rage Two. Yeah, it's getting close. I saw some stuff come up. Uh, Bethesda released some information about it or something. Maybe I just saw a new trailer yeah, or something like that. I but really, it's, but I still keep seeing more about it. I'm like, oh, this looks fun. Oh, it was during the Inside Xbox event a couple uh, days ago. I was about to say, I can't advise you either way. Yeah. I know nothing about either game. It looks fun, though. In, in but, and, and Days Gone, like, it's another, you know, it obviously, like I've said, gives strong Lasso's vibes. It's another zombie game post-apocalyptic. Zombie one, right? You know, Deacon St. John's, your character on a motorcycle, which apparently has a lot of, uh, that comes into game, into, you use it a lot. Like, it, it's more than just a vehicle that gets you from A to B. Like, it has some customization and different things you can do with it. It looks, and it looks, the zombies are, you know, they're more like World War Z-ish, where it's a mass whore that moves very quickly. So it's different than, like, Resident Evil or even uh, Last of Us in the speed of the zombie. But, so, What's it that? looks fun. I just can't decide if I want to do another zombie game or if I want to do Rage 2. I mean, just knowing that Days Gone is a zombie game, I'm automatically like, go Rage 2. But yeah. I do want to ask, does your character look like Nick Cage's character from that movie where like he had a skull and it was on fire and he rode a motorcycle. Ghost Rider? Ghost no, Rider. He look like him. Oh, it's not like that. What <laughs> <No>. a bummer. <laughs> Rage 2 then. Is my Rage 2, that's the official. <laughs> um, the only reason that I'm thinking Days Gone is I think Days Gone will uh, scratch my Last of Us Part 2 itch pretty well. Just save it. Just save all of those pent Last up feelings for when it actually comes out. That's true. In. 2022. Oh, it's going to be 2020. Because that like that kind of rolls into our next thing, which also, yesterday, April 17th, Neil Druckmann tweeted a picture of the script of Last of Us two, Part 2 that just <gasps> says, cut to black, the end. And he said, just shot this scene. So, sad face emoji. So, does that sad mean... Sad face emoji? Because he said oh, that they're done, they're done filming. So what I, if he's apparently sad about they, the ending? They, apparently, they wrapped shooting of the game. So, they're still doing that and capturing mocap and all. So it's going to be a bit, but that rolls into a little bit more what we're going to talk about in some news that also this week, additional detail or new details on the PS5 were announced by Sony. So I'm going to jump over to an article. Before you get to that, there's one more game. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I totally got hooked into this. That's okay. So uh, just one more thing on April 26th coming very soon. Super Meat Boy Forever for PS4, Xbox One, Switch, PC, iOS, and Android. Literally all of them. You can get it for anything. That's Super Meat Boy Forever. And that's a re or like a repackaging, probably, I guess. I think it's, it's a repackaging everything. of Super Meat Boy. That's an interesting platformer. It's a it was fun. It got way too challenging for me really quick. But the earlier levels I liked. You're such a pleb. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, that's actually going to play more into now, what we're talking about today. I played too. Um, Super Meat Boy versus like Hollow Knight, for example. So I really don't have a good gauge on how difficult it is. Mm. It might, in fact, be unrealistically difficult. I see. I see. It's a pretty hard one. So what I was saying is they just re- announced details on the PS5. So a, cu- a couple days ago as of this recording, um, let me see. I'm sorry. I should have seen this earlier. 
Wait, why does that look like an Xbox controller? Because it's showing what are these graphics? Big, big rumors or whatever. Okay, so when was this? This was early, just earlier this week. All right. Okay, so earlier this week, Sony announced details on the PS5, and they gave some specs, what it's going to be in terms of backwards compatibility, what can work with it, and what it's going to look like. The big takeaways are that it's going to have an upgraded GPU and CPU that is going to allow for ray tracing, which means just means for, you know, it starts getting a little more technical than even I'd like to get into. But basically, it allows for much better pretty graphics, especially with, like, light and how light is handled and rendered and allows for way more detail. It's also, they're testing it with solid-state drives inside it, which is going to super increase load times. Now, that's, you mean super decrease load times. Super decrease, sorry. I was supposed to say, it's going to make them so much worse than they were before. That's the one thing about the news of the PS5 that I really latched on to is that decrease in loading times. Mm -hmm. That sounds amazing. Yeah. No, it really does. It was even there. It showed a video. I can't remember. It was probably IGN because right now, like fast travel, standard fast travel on the PS4 Pro, PS4 is around 15 seconds. Like they showed a video of the Spider-Man, Insomniac Spider-Man. And it showed like the typical load time for fast travel and then what it was proposed, which is going to be like 0.8 seconds. So, so it's going to be ridiculously fast. I really wish that they had used either Anthem uh, or Monster Hunter Anthem World. Anthem would be such a good, a good one to try so it on. Monster oh Hunter World. Those two are like notorious long loading games, mm-hmm. both of which I like. Monster Hunter World, you might even say perhaps, question mark, I even love, but those load times are killer and the prospect of having those even cut by 25 percent i'll take anything at this point so this these specs that i'm getting from uh are from an ign article ps5 details specs backward compatibility possible price and more uh so that so as we look down farther in here so they're talking about the ps5 and this is they don't know a price although a uh let me jump down here to where it is talking about price because that was obviously like all these tech specs that they're talking about people are like that's going to be that seems pricey because it is also going to be compatible eventually to support 8k graphics which that's going to be a while possibly even later on in this life cycle because like there aren't even really 8k tvs i was about to say did you say 8k yeah, 8K. I've we're already talking about 8k even... and i haven't even got a 4k tv I don't, yet I ha- Right. I was about to. Um, my plan is I'm going to wait and I'm going to upgrade both at the same time. So I'm just going to be absolutely blown away by new Man, TV. You better start a new PS5. savings account now. Oh yeah, no, I'm already starting. I'm already starting. That's what I want to do because I would price oh, oh. your soul. But anyway, they're they're coming out. Where is it talking about price? Price and more. The soul of your firstborn. <laughs> basically, I can't remember now who said off the top of my head, but it was basically it will be an appealing price point is what they're saying. So that doesn't assuade any fears that it's going to be super expensive. It really doesn't. But it's appealing. You know, appealing, appealing price point would be for the power that you're bucks. getting. <laughs> I think that's what they're trying to put to push this off is for what you're getting. It's going to be a good a good price point. It is going to be compatible with PSVR. They're not updating the PSVR headset, but what is currently working will work with the, the PS5. It is also going to be completely backwards compatible for ps4 games now that is very that attractive. is very attractive to me that um you know will yet to be seen about like what ps3 they haven't really said anything about further back compa- backward compatibility but at least ps4 will games will be able to play it so that's also leading suspicion to a lot of suspicion and what i personally think too that some of these games that we're waiting to see release dates on like the last of Us part two death stranding it's because they're going to be dual release or at least they're going to be they're going to launch late ps4 and then be a ps5 launch title see i think the last of us 2 in particular is going to be the bridge game i think they're yeah. going to have that be a ps5 like 
at launch release, mm-hmm. and I think they're going to have it be a bridge for the PS4. Death Stranding, I feel like that's a game that even probably Sony doesn't fully know when it's coming out, so I'm not putting any eggs in the basket of Death Stranding, but Ghost of Tsushima, maybe. I, I kind of feel like that one might come out late PS4. But I mean, at this point, if we know that it's also going to be PS5 compatible, so like it doesn't hurt to buy it at the same time, but it's so it will be, is it going to come out PS4? And then it's gonna they're gonna release the PS5, and then you can buy a PS5 version of the game. Or so for people who want to hold out until the PS5, or do you just buy it? Does it come out like a few months early before, and then you buy the game then? Then you just put it into your PS5 when the so, time comes. This might be like a stupid question then, but let's say that I buy a PS5 and I already own Monster Hunter 4 for the PS4. If I play that on my PS5, in theory, it would work. Much should faster. Work the, should work, yeah, much faster and the same because you would just be getting the downloading your save files okay. from the cloud, so okay. or transferring them over from your I old PS4. That's probably a very stupid question, but like in my mind, I'm like, will it's it always actually good to know work? These things. No, you I'm, never know. You know, and I, I, I totally understand. So a lot of cool things coming out from there. Uh, they're, but that's about all they said so far. They're being kind of loose, tight-lipped with it all, other than these few uh, specs that they gave us. Also this week at the Inside Xbox that through xbox they announced that they were releasing the big announcement there they announced a whole lot of things some of their plans for e3 for this year some other smaller releases and different things like that that's where i talked about rage 2 that i was thinking of but the big news out of there is that microsoft is announcing the xbox one s all digital version of the xbox one s console console basically it's the exact same as a normal xbox one s except it doesn't have a disc drive so it's purely for the people who want to buy their games digitally it is retailing at 250 bucks which seems to be about 250 bucks cheaper than a normal xbox one s and so there you go new thing coming out in the market a new product from microsoft so i appreciate market diversification i mean really in any way shape or form there are rumors that the switch is going to eventually have some different Mm -hmm. price Mm -hmm. point um different function switches ones that for example have more hard drive capacity example that kind of thing uh so i'm no stranger to this sort of market strategy right i do wonder about you know the sustainability of an all dra- of of an all digital console though because if your all digital console uh you know xbox has been notorious for the red ring of death right i know that's a very outdated reference but the example that i'm trying to make is what happens if your all digital console is totally lost and cannot be replaced. Do you lose access to every game that you've purchased for it digitally at almost certainly the same price that you would have paid if you had bought it physically? No. So everything that you buy is going to be based in the cloud. And similar to how with the PS4 and everything, you know, you buy something digitally, you can download it to your device. And as long as, you know, that device is associated with your account, it's all cloud compatible. Exactly. Saves, save uh, your saves, personal information, save data, games, all that's going to be cloud-based, except for obviously when you download and install a game, that will be kept on your hard drive. But then your saves are going to be in the cloud. So even if your console gets ruined and you have to save it for repairs or you get a new one sent to you, just sign back in with your Xbox Live account, download away, you're back to gaming. That makes me feel a lot better. Yeah. Because I was thinking, where do your games go if you sit on your <laughs> Xbox by accident? They'll just be in the cloud. They'll just be in the heavens. Yes, <laughs> floating above you, always ready to be played. So that's pretty exciting, though, that they're introducing another cheaper option, another option available. Like Again, it's what we've been talking about. Microsoft laying that groundwork and diversifying out this Xbox, just giving a bit more, you know, market 
appeal basically and a lot of op- different options for people to choose from what they want to be able to spend and what they want to walk away with as far as the game experience so pretty cool stuff yeah i would say so especially if the kind of games that you like to play are for example fortnite PUBG, mm-hmm. apex games that are technically free to play why wouldn't you want to pay less for a console to play those games and going to be a downloadable yeah. only way to play exactly. absolutely i can see the appeal i will say i bought anthem digitally and i have enjoyed having it digital i see the appeal of just being able to quick without having to get up from the couch super lazy reason but without having to get up from the couch you can just switch over to new game and start playing so lazy used to in the past the old past you had to get up walk over open a case pop out a disc put in a disc sit back down wait for the disc to read it that's might not fun. read oh my that's god you know it's just part. such a drag but that's here in the modern the era rest of your steps in the day <laughs> no. no i still like vine games physically i'm just just poking fun at the idea <laughs> So let's jump into our main topic of today, which has applied a lot to some of the stuff we've already talked about. And that being, we're beginning a new series that, you know, I know we start a lot of series and we come back around to them eventually, but this one we're being a little bit more pointed in, in that for the next, we're going to do four episodes in this series before we take a break from it and focus on other things, but we're going to do one a month and it's going to be solely on platformers. So which we're going to focus, each of us are going to bring a platformer to the table we're going to talk about it, talk about why we either enjoy it or don't enjoy it. What about this platformer sets it apart from other platformers that we've played? But before we do that, though, what about platformers is exciting to you, Mogan, as a genre of video game? So we don't want to bore the listeners too very much with like no. the history of platformers. Because we want to jump into the two games that we've brought we ahead. And we've already be, talked about some yeah, news for a while. So we, want, we don't want to hark too much on this. But why was this an interesting basically a series for us to want to focus on for the next few couple a few months so i think one of the most notable things about the platformer genre as a whole is kind of double fold so the one thing is it's one of the oldest genres of games that i can think of oh absolutely so when you're thinking about the earliest iterations of what we would now know as modern video games platformers have been around for approximately 40 years because the earliest examples of platformers could be seen in the late 1970s and the early 1980s with one of the now this is very debatable but some people might say that the og platformer is the original donkey kong which also introduced yep, yep. Mario. I can see that. So in the past, these super old school versions of platformers uh, had a lot of limited features. So the earliest versions of what we now know as platformers were on, for example, a static plane. Mm-hmm. So where in modern platformers, you have the ability to move around, move the camera. The earliest versions were, here's your rectangle, here's you. You're just going to move through this entire rectangle that you can see using, for example, ladder systems like in Donkey Kong. And of course, jumps to get to and from platform to platform. Right. And that's sort of the earliest recognizable version of the platformer as a genre. And since then, this, the genre has massively branched out to what really could now arguably be a, a much broader subset of subgenres. So platformers can be RPGs, they can be puzzlers, they can be adventure games, they can even be shooters, like yep. in the case of Contra, for example. So platformers as a genre, I think, is such an accessible type of game for almost every gamer. Right. Uh, there aren't many like people that I personally know close to me that I'm like, man, they really hate platformers. In fact, no one. Like I really I mean, can't maybe think of anyone. Me would be the closest just because I get very but I know at least two games that you love. Oh no, I I still love platformers. Perfectly as platformers. One, one of my of favorites. Which, 
is Donkey Kong Country. It's Donkey Kong Country, one right. of the most notable platformers of all time. No, and I do. I what I, my issue with platformers is sometimes the puzzle mechanics of them can get it puzzle uh, puzzle platformers are the ones that usually annoy me the most and the fastest. And that's, but platformers in general, because it is sometimes so much more determined. Your gameplay and success is determined on your accuracy with when you hit certain buttons, like a jump, when to double jump, when to do some other things. Mechanics, more often than not in platformers, will screw me up. Yeah, and I think that's actually, that's really one of the defining features of platformers as a genre, is that all of them are based with a few deviations, but the vast majority are based on mechanics. And then beyond that, it's kind of a question mark. So one of the most notable things of really... Kind of every platformer that I could think of, I tried to think of exceptions and couldn't come up with any that don't have a formal jump, like an actual push blank to jump. Right, no. And one of the sources for that that I kind of am totally piggybacking off of here is that when I was on Wikipedia (laughs) doing my homework, as one does, so one of the specific lines that the Wikipedia page for platformers said is, games where jumping is automated completely fall outside of the category of platformers. That makes sense. And the example that they gave was actually The Legend of Zelda, which is totally understandable. Those games are not true platformers when you think about it. That, like... I, 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 what's the vertex? Is that where like two lines come to a point? Yes. So like that crux, I think, I think maybe. <laughs> so basically that crux of the game is that it is based on movement. And one of the key movements of the genre of platformers is the jump. Mm-hmm. And that there may be some notable exceptions out there, but I can't think of any. I can't really either. If you, the listeners, can think of a platformer that didn't feature jumps... Let us know. It's such a cool mechanic. Because, I mean, the example that they gave with um, Legend of Zelda is that the jump is automated, meaning that if you run at a ledge at X speed, you're going to jump automatically. So it's not really a feature of the mechanics because mm-hmm. the game does it for you. Right. Whereas with platformers, you are mechanically responsible for making all of those movements. And the amount of time that you hold the jump button or that you hold the directional pad while you're in your jump, that can dictate how high in the air you go, how far to the left or right you go how quickly you go down Mm -hmm. so that particular type of mechanical function within the game i feel is what defines platformers as a series and really too along outside of the movements level design in that even though even they could be a 2d or a 3d space they still feature predominantly platforms is what you travel across be that raised ledges hills that you have to jump or raising and lowering like uh I'm blanking, like in Mario, the little shelves that like go up and down. The little platforms, shelves that go platforms up and down. <laughs> that you can land on. Mine totally went blank. So th- there's still like a combination of these flat elements that you have to jump around various hazards and obstacles to get around on, as well as combating enemies, is what really blend together to make the platformers a special yeah. genre. I think that combat is sort of specific to particular platformers. Mm-hmm. Not all of them feature those types of elements, but many, many do. Yeah. So that sort of gives you a a very broad idea of what makes a platformer. Some of the most notable platformers of all time are Donkey Kong, every Mario game ever, yeah. literally all of them. Uh, Sonic, Sonic mm-hmm. the Hedgehog is technically Great a platformer. Platform uh, Spyro, Crash Bandicoot. There are so many that fall under the category of platformers that I think at one point in maybe the 
mid-90s to early 2000s, platformers had the largest market share of video games, period, and no single genre since has surpassed that mark. But that makes sense, because in the late 90s, you're getting games like Super Mario 64. You get Mario 64, you get tons that came out of the gate with massive profits that to this day continue to be profitable games. So there's... I, I wouldn't think that it's surprising to to me or to you, but some people might be shocked to learn that platformers are technically, as far as I know, the record holder for mm-hmm. genre of sheer profitability. Well, and also, too, it makes sense because at their base, they're also fairly easy games to get into also. Yes. You know, and it's not like you're tackling The Witcher 3 and this is your, like, your first game to play. No, you're probably going to play a platformer first, you know, to get the hang of it. Or And everybody probably has played a Mario at their friends growing up for regardless or any of these other games. So they have a very low barrier entry too, as, as compared to some other genres. And I feel like that's what makes platformers so ubiquitous is that they have so little of a barrier to entry, so little that you have to sit there for hours and read tutorials. Right. I'm looking at you, Monster Hunter World, the <laughs> tutorials and the amount of menus that you have to go through just to be able to barely grasp what you're supposed to do. That is the antithesis of the platform. Mm-hmm. The beauty of platformers is in their simplicity. The fact that you can start with almost zero instruction, potentially even zero instruction, and you just push buttons on the, on the, on whatever controller it is that you're holding or your keyboard and figure out what you're supposed to do. All you need is the directional buttons and the jump and you can figure everything else out from there. Yep. One step at a time. And that's what platformers are. That's why it's probably by and large, potentially my favorite genre, which is why we wanted to give it this much attention by doing this. And I want to clarify, I feel like I might've misspoke. We're not doing four months of only platformers. Each month we're going to we're going to do a platformer focused episode. So and basically so, we're just gonna feature platformers as like a special thing that we're doing because Jared and I both have so much love mm-hmm. for the genre and so much that we can go off of. Yes. Because even though they may have a low barrier to entry, that doesn't mean there aren't hard platformers. Those they like I said, they make me want to pull my hair out for faster any than anything. Yeah, for any reason. It could be for mechanics, it could be for puzzles, it could be for who knows what. So that's bosses. exactly what we're gonna be t- bosses. That's exactly what we're gonna be talking about today. Yeah. So I think I'll kick it off. Which the one that I picked for this episode is Ratchet and Clank from twenty sixteen. The remake of the original two thousand and two Ratchet and Clank, based off of the movie Ratchet and Clank that also came out the same year of twenty sixteen, which I felt necessary to do to watch as prep for today's episode. So before you start, and I definitely want to hear about that movie, <laughs> I do just want to point out that like for the first time ever, if you're looking at the YouTube video, look at all those notes. Jared printed his notes because I normally write in my notebook. It's double sided. I usually he- write in my notebook, <laughs> but I knew I was going to have enough information because we were doing a deeper dive into these games that I wouldn't want to leave anything out, and this is going to be easier. I think you're running out of toner. I am. I am. I'm on the like the very last. <laughs> that is amazing. Squirts, I guess, of toner. The squirt. Oh, don't, don't say that word. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Ratchet & Clank 2016, developed by Insomniac Games and published by Sony. It's a 3D platformer directed by Brian Algier, composed by Michael Ross. And like I said, it's a remake of the 2002 original game. So, basic plot summary here, and this is from the game's page on PlayStation.com. Join, quote, join 
Ratchet, Clank, Captain Quark, and new friends as they battle to save the Solana galaxy from the evil Chairman Drek. With an hour of new cinematics, including footage from the film, Ratchet and Clank PS4 takes a deeper look at the characters' origin stories and modernizes the original gameplay. Explore the galaxy in a game that features new planets, new and updated gameplay segments, all new bosses, all new Clank gameplay, all new flight sequences, and much more, with completely new visuals built to demonstrate the power of the PS4. Battle your enemies with an out-of-this-world arsenal, including new weapons and fan-favorite tools of destruction from the Ratchet & Clank Future series. From the brand-new Pixelizer, which transforms enemies into explosive 8-bit pixels, which is a lot of fun to use, to franchise favorites like the dance-party-inducing Groovatron and wise-cracking robotic bodyguard Mr. Zircon. Ratchet & Clank's arsenal has never been better. Help Ratchet & Clank save the galaxy for the first time, again, exclusively on the PlayStation 4. So, the Groovatron... And Mr. Zircon. So those are like two top weapons, top tier weapons, weapons of any game I can think of. We've even featured, I know, the Groovatron we in one of our episodes talking about, talking about our favorite weapons. And at one point, I know for a fact we talked about Mr. Zircon. Oh, yeah, but a long time ago. I don't ago. remember why it may have been a weapons episode. It might have been, too. We might have talked about both of those. God, he's but the so best. It, it really is. So why Ratchet and Clank? Why did I want to talk about this one? Honestly, I didn't have much interest in the game when it first came out. A buddy of mine, Michael, who's been on the show before, he's played it and was like, hey, you need to play this. It's great. It's a lot of fun. I picked it up one day when I was sick and played through it in about two days. Wow, the whole game. The whole game. You finished the whole game in two days. Because I had so much fun with it. Oh my gosh. So I've never finished anything in two days. I've only done that a couple times. I feel like it was... Three times that I think. It's taken me two days to eat a Pop-Tart. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not that. So, so yeah, I did that. But that was, again, I was sick. I, what else was I doing? Just laying on the couch doing nothing. But I think the only other game that I've really done that was The Order 1886 because I was playing it when oh, Sam was out of town yeah. and I started playing it like at night and I was like, this game's so good. And I wound up just staying up and finishing the whole thing. And it's a relatively short game. Yeah, it was like eight to ten hours. a lot of platformers tend to fall into that category of being not super extra long right if you choose to play them right that way. so what makes ratchet and clank so fun honestly it had, does have to be the, more in this one for me it has to be the gameplay of it rather than or more the combat i should say specifically because it and it has been a mainstay of the ratchet and clank series you have so many different weapons at your arsenal like i made a list you've got the fusion grenade the, the pirate Pyrocitor, the Bouncer, Groovatron, Predator Launcher, Warmonger, Club of Doom, Combuster, Proton Drum, Mr. Zircon, Pixelizer, Plasma Striker, Sheepinator, Buzzblades, and Rhino. Wait, which... you cannot just gloss over the Sheepinator. Oh, I'm not. I'm just listing okay. it all for right now. <laughs> but then you have the Rhino, which, as I found out from the movie, stands for, because I didn't remember from the game, because it's R-Y-N-O, stands for Rip You a New One. Oh, my goodness. Because... That is scandalous. I don't think you can say that on the air. Because <laughs> if you follow the Ratchet and Clank series, they have often used double entendres in their titles, that, such as Ratchet and Clank Up Your Arsenal the, or Ratchet and Clank Going Commando. Yes, the <laughs> the, <laughs> the script writing for the Ratchet and Clank games is one of their most unique features and arguably one of their most charming features. Absolutely. Yes. So for those unfamiliar with the plot, uh, other than the plot summary that I gave, basically you're Ratchet and you start playing as Ratchet on the planet Veldian. Did I get that planet right? Where did I put that? While you're doing that, we'll describe Ratchet as being like a small semi-humanoid creature that looks like a cross between like a cat 
Like a raccoon, maybe? No, nah, he looks more like one of those fennec foxes. Yeah, he looks have, like, like a the fox. Really big You're ears. right. He's got the huge ears. I wrote down. He also has a longer tail, though, doesn't he? But it's like cat-like because it's not big and floofy. Velden. Yeah, I did say it right. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like a raccoonish tail and all that. But anyway, he's a mechanic. He's been on this planet, Velden, for a long time, and he's constantly looking for his opportunity to be among the stars, specifically to join the Galactic Rangers, which are led by Captain Quark. And he eventually gets his chance when Clank, who was a defect from the Chairman Drek and his blarg invasion force that's coming First to all, the that's blarg coming to, is like the I know. best <laughs> which they're these like reptilian cone-headed creatures they look pretty they're pretty ridiculous but they're your main enemies in this game this and warbots which are the robot soldiers that are produced by chairman drex uh company and manufacturing this war because what they're basically the whole thing is they're developed this weapon called the deplanetizer with the help of dr nefarious and what it does is it basically shoots it, and all of the Death Star blows up the planet, and then they can collect specific parts, like a chunk of the planet for future keeping, which, spoiler alert for this game, you know, block your ears if you don't want to hear it. Give you a bit of a second to really make sure you get time to hit that pause button. The goal of the Deplanetizer is that it's going to blow apart these planets to take the best part, and so the, and then Chairman Drek is trying to rebuild a new homeworld for the Blarg, is what they're doing out of all these bits and pieces. So they've only been really going after planets that are uninhabited for a while, but now he's starting to turn his attention towards planets that have certain things that he needs, but they're inhabited by like a lot of people. So that kind of sets up the big, the big goal it's, of this game. It's a lot like the Emperor's New Groove. Cusco wants to build his beautiful water park. On somebody else's hill. That's true. And he's willing to take it at whatever cost. That's true. Man, basically the same game. It's basically the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so Clank crash lands on planet Velden because he is a defective unit. Basically, he got there was a, a manufacturing error and it turned out little Clank as opposed as a big imposing warbot. And he was tried, almost destroyed, but is able to escape. Crash lands on Velden where he's united with Ratchet and off they set on their big adventures. So now the big thing is that you only play as Clank and you or Ratchet. Sorry. You play mainly as Ratchet. Clank is basically your support buddy. Like when you're flying through the air, at one point you can eventually unlock a glider that he'll deploy. When you're swimming underwater, he's a propeller for you. He can be a jetpack also kind of thing. You also <laughs> you'll have him at your disposal to use when needed. You also have a swing shot, which is basically like an electronic like laser beam grapple thing that you can use to jump over gaps and ledges and everything like that. And you also have a big arsenal of weapons, those which we already described. And that's where the game gets really fun. The big thing about this and what made this game fun, like I said, for me, were the weapons. It just what made it it's a very bright, colorful game anyway. Very well done graphics and, and animations and all this. But all these different weapons have obviously different ammunition types that are all very colorful. The ones like we said, the Groovatron, you throw them at the enemies and regardless each different enemy type that you come across in the game has a different dance that they are that is activated when the Groovatron gets thrown at them. Like I said, Mr. Zircon is a really fun one because he goes and has these quotes. I wrote down a couple oh, because Mr. I wanted to Zircon's remember. Mr. quotes are gold. Because there's always about, like, he's got this deep robotic voice. He does, which but he's I'll like a little robot with, like, a big, Kind of looks like, like a dog. Yeah, he's got, like, this huge underbite jaw with, like, these jagged teeth, but he's yeah. got, like, no legs. He, no. like, floats around, but he's like, Mr. Zircon. Like, the two that I, the two quotes that 
that I grabbed is, why does Mr. Zircon lack enemies to kill? Mr. Zircon conducts a symphony of pain. And that's like how he talks the whole thing and he just says all these lines he's as he's flying around. Best. It's the best. And you can't ignore, of course, and like the Predator launcher is a huge, uh, is like a missile launcher. Warmonger is like a big mini missile launcher. Fusion grenade is a typical grenade. But you also have a melee weapon, which is your uh, Omni wrench. Yeah, yeah, your wrench. Just, just technically just called the Omni wrench. Yeah, it's just the wrench. It's got all this. But anyway, as with. Platformers, like we talked about, jumping and all that is a big mechanic in this. So you can jump, you can kind of like double jump and have a hover, but then you can do a big slamming attack with your Omni Wrench, which is really fun to do. And then what you every time you kill enemies, you collect uh, some bolts, which can be used as currency to either buy new things from vendors. Because not only do you collect all these different weapons... You can also upgrade and level up the weapons by using them more. Whenever you you can increase these weapons to a level of five, and when you each level that they go up, they get a boost to their damage. But you can also buy like additional parts to add on and to customize these weapons. And then there also is a fairly in-depth like upgrade system which you spend these points, which are called raridanium. I believe I'm saying that right. Where's my note? That sounds exactly like the Avatar movies unobtainium. Like <laughs> Just those add are, obtainium those are the to the two end? same level of we tried this hard and no more to think of a new title for a rare yeah, ore. Raritanium. Yep, there yeah, we it's go. It's rare and it's a metal. <laughs> it's rare and it's metal. <laughs> but you can use these, and the more raritanium you spend on these, and it's like this complex hex grid thing where it's like you use three to unlock on this certain path that's going to, say, give X amount of damage boost to your missiles. That is going to then unlock all these different nodes that you can start unlocking. So it had this in-depth system that so that way it wasn't just like oh i got this weapon and i'm done it has a lot of different things that you could throw at the game and to really make each weapon your own and kind of customize it to your own playstyle what that's you wanted kind to focus of like on like an integration of more of an rpg system mm-hmm. that's one of the things that makes the game semi rpg ish but still right. a platformer oh yeah absolutely so you're going from pl- the levels of this game are you're going from planet to planet to either rescue people or stop blarg invasions and stop drek from be- from taking out his nefarious plans with dr nefarious and and so as you go around, you incorporate different, you find different aliens to fight against. Like I said, the Blarg, but then I remember also these like slime blob kind of creatures when I think you're at some kind of uh, like bio facility or something that Drek is using. I don't remember all the details on that. But, and again, like those, that was what was really funny with the blobs, especially with the, with the uh, Groovatron, because they just do like this really, they like squish and jump and squish they and jump and stuff it. like they that. They can't help limbs. it. They, yeah, I know, but it's funny to see a slime ball dance, That's basically. hilarious. But that's what I remembered about the Groovatron and just the fun touches about this game that make it so fun is, like I said, not only do the individual enemies have an individual have unique dances, the bosses do too. From like many many bosses that you meet at the end to the big boss fight at the end, like there's you can throw a Groovatron and it's going to affect them and they're going to do some crazy fun dance. But it's all just bright and even though it's violent, it's still lighthearted and just and not like <laughs> I'm killing everything. No, it kind of is. All, it, it kind of is though because it it's is. of how comically these weapons dispatch of your enemies, and yeah. that is where the joy and the fun in this game really lies for me, because story wise. It's a story we've heard before, like a 
and specifically really even from Star Wars, a planet-destroying machine is flying around space, destroying planets, and it's up to this small An group of heroes. An average that's definitely not a hero. Mechanic farm boy. a hero. Exactly. Yep. So, you With know, the help of his robot pal. It's like... <laughs> yeah. So it's got its parallels, but it still is enough to like keep this light, a lighthearted, fun story, and it throws in a few twists in there, which I don't want to go into for people who haven't played the game yet, but it's still really just sets up a fun, lighthearted universe. And there's a whole lot of different things to do. You're not just jumping around, you know, fighting Blarg and Warbots. You certain levels also have these like rail system that you grind along to go either faster through the level or even levels are purely dependent on it. Similar to like the minecart levels in Donkey Kong where the whole thing is gone on these rails and you're jumping to from rail to rail to dodge obstacles or jump over gaps and different things like that. There's even some aerial combat in a few missions where you can fight the war bots from the skies, which again, platformer, that's a fun thing to add in. So you're not just always in, in the land-based movement and everything. There's also some hoverboard areas and some races and like competition. Cause one planet you go to has like a hoverboard or racing competition that you can take part in. And the better you do, the better rewards you get and things like right. that. But it's something you can always go back to and revisit. So there's a lot of things to do in this game. Puzzles. We've talked about puzzles and being a main factor and they are in this one too, but it's more of like, okay, I got to figure out how to drain the water from this part so I can get to this switch to unlock this switch over here. That's going to eventually unlock this door. So that way the puzzles for in this game for me, were not ones like they sometimes run across one and I have to run through it three, four times. Be like, all right, what's not working. What am I missing? But it never got to the part. They never seemed daunting enough where I was like, this is so annoying. I don't, I'm, I'm like, Platformers, I will quit because I get, I will rage quit because I have a hard part that's like really kicking my ass and I'm trying to beat through, usually through enemies. But the other thing is going to be puzzles are going to make me rage quit. And this game doesn't, the puzzles didn't make me rage quit, which for me is a significant bonus. Uh, yeah, for it's you. Because for me, the puzzles absolutely. get out under my skin and just annoy me more than anything. And I mean, anytime you hit that kind of wall, whether it be through a boss fight, something that you're encountering mechanically that you can't quite get the hang of or puzzles for example it can any reason that mm -hmm. you get frustrated and you can't seem to do something no matter how hard you try we we've all had those moments oh yeah it absolutely. happens to the best of us yeah so it just is a really fun light-hearted game and also the the final boss fight which is again a little bit of spoilery stuff here if you don't want to hear this but the final boss fight against dr nefarious is one of the hardest i've ever played really? specifically in a platformer but then also maybe just overall boss huh. fights it was so hard it took me so long i was talking with my buddy michael and he was the same way he's like oh yeah i would be those things i'd play and get farther and farther and typical with boss like he's has stages to him like there oh, are three right, main right. stages and after each stage like his attacks get more intense harder to dodge throws in more variables for you to have to deal with but the one thing about this one that makes it so hard is that you are flying around mostly on your jetpack because it takes place inside the deplanetizer he's the dr nefarious is in this big robot mech that's flying around but the thing is in the one key mechanic about this game you have a jetpack but it has limited fuel so you're trying to fly around between all these platforms, fight Dr. Nefarious, who's flying around the whole time. You're dodging warbots. You're, do you're dodging his projectiles and missiles that he's firing at you. The platforms that you're flying around in between can also be destroyed and fall down. So you have to plan everything. That does so kind of suck. <laughs> precisely. And it gets so hard. I just, I don't know, even know how many times I played this game. And play or play this boss fight, and just it had to be upwards of 
30 times? You think so? 30 times? It took a long time. Wow. I could be just terrible, <laughs> which I fully admit could be a very real possibility. But still, 30 times at least. I know there wow. were several times I would play it. So maybe my initial timeline of how quickly I beat the game isn't completely accurate because I know maybe it, I well, was able to get to Nocturne of Nefarious. Times you had to retry the same fight. I was maybe able to get to the final boss fight within two days, but then after that, it might have taken me a few times because I know it was just a serious grind to beat him. Wow, because, that's unfortunate. Yeah, and then let me see what about oh he can also like at the end of each of his stages he goes and heals which is another common mechanic but still frustrating nonetheless when you have to deal with when you're like i worked so hard to kick down your health bar and here you go back like a bastard and <laughs> refilling your health <laughs> when suck. i don't have that option so it just made a whole lot of intense gameplay like i said the combat mechanic and switching between all the different weapons and fun exciting ways to dispatch of the blarg who and it's really comical and how it all happens it just made for a really fun game. Add in the RPG elements with up leveling up your weapons and your other gear. Just made for a really fun, lighthearted, enjoyable experience. So I wrote a quick little recap to summarize my feelings about the game, some of which I've already stated, but nevertheless, here we go again. So why is this one of my favorites? Ratchet & Clank provided a truly fun experience with flashy visuals, smooth gameplay, and witty writing. Obviously, shout out again to the Mr. Zircon lines. Actually, that was... so. The movie wasn't that great. I would imagine so. I mean, it was fun. I don't think it won an Oscar. No, it definitely <laughs> didn't. And it was one of those, like, even I can enjoy kid films and or movies that are targeted more for kids. And this one had a few chuckles, but, nah, it wasn't anything great. But the, I will say, though, one of my favorite gags in the movie is uh, when the the uh, Galactic Rangers are ambushed at this one point and the, they have some robot soldiers who fight with them too and the warbots blew up this portion of a bridge and this one good robot soldier goes flying off and does the iconic Wilhelm scream that you hear that's been around for forever <laughs> and then one of the other robot guards shouts after him Wilhelm! Oh, that's <laughs> Really funny. I laughed real hard at that. That's hilarious. They actually acknowledge that it's called the Wilhelm scream. Oh, that's really funny. It it made me laugh pretty hard. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, so I found myself with a grin on my face the whole time I was playing as a discoverer. As I would discover fun new ways to cut through the Blarg and Warbots with the, with the unique weapons you find in your arsenal. My sense of discovery was piqued enough to try to collect enough bolts and raritanium to upgrade my weapons and gear and find other hidden treasures, which is something I'm not often to do in platformer games. The puzzles were challenging enough to make me pause and think, but not hard enough to make me frustrated. And like I said before, while the plot is one we've seen before, looking at you, Star Wars, it still propels the story forward with a few twists and gives serious stakes to a lighthearted adventure. And that is why I wanted to focus on Ratchet and Clank, the 2016 version. Ratchet and Clank is, in my like mental lexicon, kind of the natural successor to what I see as the framework that were laid by Crash Bandicoot and Spyro. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Ratchet and Clank is very much well, I mean, in that original, same vein, just a little bit after those. A little bit after, because Spyro and Crash, His correct me if I'm wrong, Spiro? Spiro, <laughs> what we're, we're all... <laughs> I just took it and went with yeah, it. I it thought could you just were just be Spiro. <laughs> but because <laughs> uh, those were late nineties, yeah. And then, uh, but the original Ratchet and Clank was in two thousand two, so yeah. it's right around the same time frame. But yes, like just a later iteration. And the fact that it got reimagined, we'll say, into this new iteration, I'm all for anything that takes old games and brings them into the new modern gaming scene, which 
makes a ton of sense because I didn't realize we were accidentally going to line up on this because the game that I want to talk about basically does exactly the same thing. Well, how about that? So whoopsie doodles, but we were both on the same uh, mental wavelength, we'll say. So the game that I wanted it's to because feature... Because we've been doing the show for so yeah, long. Yeah, because just knew we just, we it would just pair know each other with so each other. well. Yeah. So the game that I wanted to feature uh, as my first one and... In my heart of hearts, I very badly wanted to feature another game instead because I feel like it's the best one, Ooh. but I didn't want to come out of the gate starting with the best and then have it be a down, down, air quotes, downhill Downward. from there. Uh, but I but wanted we will to hear about start. that game at some we point. We will hear about that game at some point. Nice. If I can hold out to the end, it'll be a miracle. I'm not sure I can actually <laughs> wait that long. Uh, so instead, the game that I wanted to feature first, which I've talked about a little bit before, is Samus Returns for the Nintendo 3DS. Okay. So Samus Returns, in case anybody is not familiar with it or they somehow managed to miss this news is a 3ds remake come on jared for god's sake i've talked about it before i know you've talked about it i just mean i haven't played here jared i just mean i haven't played it that's because you also don't own a 3ds this is true or a ds this is true or any other or a 2ds this is true the market strategy for the ds is very broad (laughs) (laughs) so so samus returns is a 3ds remake of the game boys metroid 2 so in essence, um, technically Samus Returns is another one of these remake slash reimagines of a classic game, in this case, Metroid 2. A lot of people might argue that Samus Returns feels very much like its own iteration in the series, but what Samus Returns really did, and I think is part of what its its impact for me is, is that so Game Boy era, this was very early. I think Metroid 2 came out in, what, 2002, I want to say? Maybe even earlier than that? It was really early on, like Game Boy Advance era. Compare that to now, how many... Oh my, was that you or me? you. Compare that to how many people haven't been able to play that particular game and have that particular particular experience to now where video games are so much more ubiquitous. Almost everybody, not almost everybody, that's a very incorrect statement, but so many more people have some sort of console at home and so many more also have handheld consoles like the PS Vita, I suppose, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. just you and perhaps Pixel Brave or the only two people I know. And then all those other people, the other 98% that have Nintendo handheld consoles. So the sheer accessibility of taking one of these older classic games like Metroid 2 and bringing it into the hands of modern gamers, whether they be old fans of the series or totally new fans that have never played a Metroid game before and haven't yet learned what they're missing, that value, I don't I feel like it really can't be understated. It's one of my favorite things about platformers in that they can be so easily brought into the now Mm -hmm. because their accessibility and their level of fun is always going to be there. Platformers are so easy to bring into the modern frame set. Uh, But some of the reasons that I think Samus Returns is among one of the better platformers that I have played in the last... This is going to be a very big statement, but probably in the last 10 years, I would definitely rank Samus Returns as being at least in my top five platformers that I've played probably within the past 10 years. I would have to actually list them all out, but it's up there for sure. And some of the reasons being, so Samus Returns, some of the things that it features that are exactly the same as Metroid 2, the plot 
exactly the same, meaning that there is virtually no plot. The plot is completely negligible. The location. <laughs> so in this case, the location, I think the actual planet that Samus is on is like SZ38. It's something really dumb. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. Also, don't hate me because I called it dumb, but it is dumb. It's like an S and then some numbers. I don't remember what it's actually called. It's the plot, location, and the goals of the game are exactly the same. So the reason that Samus is on planet, you look it up, planet blankety blankety blank, I don't care. S38, we'll call it. I'm probably wrong about that. The reason that she's there is expressly to exterminate the Metroids. Oh. So it is the titular example of what the game is supposed to be. So you are there for the sole purpose of killing the Metroid infestation. What's different about it is the map layouts, enemy behaviors, and quite a few of the power-ups are completely new as of Samus Returns, or at least revamped. So it can be really tricky to reimagine any beloved game, but I do very much feel like Samus Returns does this with style. Some of the things that the game does that I particularly enjoy are that at least visually not necessarily in text or in hard lore because this isn't a text a text heavy game at all i mean if you like read the journal entries i think you can get more on it but in terms of sheer visuals it does expand upon the influence of the kozo Mm -hmm. so that's the race that basically they actually made the metroids originally and they were like whoops are bad and then the space pirates got a hold of the metroids and they were like this is a good bio weapon, and the Koza were like, "No, don't, don't, don't do, do that. that." And they were like, "It's too late, bro. We got, we already got our hands on this." So similar to so like the flood, it's in kind Halo. of like that. So they basically created something that they couldn't control. But and this particular game doesn't really expand on that that much. But the gist is that the Kozo made all of this ancient tech from Samus's own suit to her weapons to her own enemy to the Metroids themselves they're kind of the re- the responsible party for mm-hmm. all of that so at least visually the game does expand upon their influence it also updates an iconic soundtrack. The soundtracks to the Metroid games are so far up there on my list of when I hear it like my heart rate instantly goes way down because I feel so calm hearing those tones. I'm like, just gives you that moment of zen. I'm home. This is where my gaming mind belongs. Nice. And on top of all of that, it mixes new mechanics with the old for a unique yet reminiscent Metroid experience. So in terms of what you can actually do within the game, and this is very much in line with Metroid 2. Are there are very vast caverns for you to explore. Which, can I jump in real quick? Yes. The planet is SR388. I was so close. I had the S and the 3 and the 8. <laughs> I'm going to call <laughs> I knew it, it sounded S38. Right when I was like reading it. I was like, that sounds very similar to what she said. Yeah, this, I was uh, really close. S. SR388. SR388. Okay, I was so close. I can't believe I didn't put that in my notes. Probably because I thought it was I mean, stupid. I, was, I, I kept looking back and being like, why didn't I not write that down? So the game does feature vast caverns to explore along with some, but not many, satisfying puzzles and new mechanics to learn. So better still, a lot of those new mechanics are designed specifically, and this is something that I loved, specifically to address... Um, points of frustration from some of the past Metroid games, and this even goes into territory of Prime. This is even something that a lot of people complained about in the Prime series. One of the key areas that people seem to hate is all of the backtracking. Mm. So the Metroid series is notorious for having a lot of backtracking involved in its somewhat limited maps, to which I've never really 
hated that much. But if you're trying to like go back and 100% the game, for example, it can get really old to have to go to and from and to and from over over and over over just for one thing. So something that Samus Returns introduced that wasn't in Metroid 2 are these teleporters. So they are quite literally these big Kozo statues that have their arms outspread and they're like, come to me, child, stand in the guiding light of the teleporter and I'll turn around and then spit you back out somewhere else on the map. And that's exactly how it works. Mm -hmm. So the teleporters are not everywhere. They're not necessarily a hard shortcut to gameplay, but they absolutely help because in every map area, we'll say, and there are at least, I'm doing a very quick like mental image check and I think there are seven, seven or eight physical areas in the game. I could be super wrong about that, but that's what I remember of what I played of it, and I've uh, made it very, very far. Did not beat the game. I will say that right now. Oh, um, but it still stuck with you enough. And, and we'll and we'll talk about that here in just a second. So um, it features a very broad map made e- made more easily traversable by the by the uh, addition of the teleporters. I'll say some people hate it. They feel like it makes it too easy. Um, I say f you. Nobody's forcing you to use the teleporters. You don't want to use them. Don't use them. You try hard. So <laughs> that's a you problem. Moving right along. Uh, one of the other things that it. And this is actually a feature that I didn't use as much because I didn't really need it. But some people, you know, you can talk a lot about gamer sense. Mm -hmm. Like when you start a game or when you're somewhere in a game and you think, man, I do not know what I'm supposed to do here. Some people, based on their past gaming experiences, are able to look at a map or look at an environment and say, oh, it wants me to do X, Y, Z. I can clearly see that based on the layout. But that's not always super obvious. And in a game like Metroid, you can really genuinely get stuck just because you're not sure what the game wants you to do Uh in any particular area. That sounds like a game. Which is the Puzzles that you might be sort of thinking Ooh. of. So the game, uh, so Samus Returns did add in this new feature in the form of Aeon abilities. So these are basically special abilities that are basically from the Kozo. One of them is called the Scan Pulse, which is where if you push a button and you have Scan Pulse equipped, it'll kind of send out like this little sonar signal. And in the actual game, if you have like, for example, a breakable block that just looks like a regular block, it will briefly glow. And you're like, oh, that's something I can break. That's how I'm supposed to get from point A to point B, and it's a hidden thing that I didn't know about. So you could argue that that's maybe making things, air quotes, too easy. I mean, it would make the game more enjoyable for me. If you're just straight up stuck, and you're frustrated, and you're not having fun, having that ability on the back burner, I still think is a good addition. I mean, again, this is sort of all goes back to making games more accessible. I feel like that is, if anything, a good feature. And again, you don't have to use it if you don't want to. That would just, knowing that that's an option for me to fall back on, even if I was in that place, and like even if I was trying to do a run without having to use the scan pulse, knowing it was there in case I finally just got to a place where I was like, you know what, screw this. I need the scan pulse. That would make me way more inclined to play the game yeah. rather than like, there's really hard puzzles and it's going to take you a long time to figure it out. Be like, no, thank you. And it actually makes you feel a little bit better, I think, as a gamer to know that you didn't technically have to resort to an internet walkthrough. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I just got to use the you're scan still pulse using the mechanics for that, that are one inside the game. tiny hint that I needed. And then once you cross that hurdle, you can go back to playing and having fun. So yeah. take it or leave it. I think it's a good addition. Yeah. Some of the other features that the game um, maintains 
So this is more in line with what Metroid 2 was really about, is that the sleek, faithful reinterpretations of the Metroids themselves. So this really uh, ties into just graphic design and graphic reinterpretation. Uh, The original Metroid games and Metroid 2, by now they are very playable still because of the nature of platformers, but they are very graphically dated. Mm -hmm. So Metroid, so Samus Returns, it looks as good and probably even better in some circumstances than, for example, the Prime series, which were Game Boy era, not Game Boy, GameCube era, my bad. So it looks phenomenal. And the Metroids themselves look very scary in their most advanced forms and kind of cute in their <laughs> tiniest forms. They're you. so adorable. You don't bite my head off. If, if you wouldn't mind, and they will try to bite your literal oh, no. head off. They latch onto you. Have you never played a Metroid game? I've played Metroid Prime, but very limited. This most, is, that's one series I missed out on. The most fun thing about when you're fighting the Metroids, and it's actually kind of a defense mechanism as well, is when they latch onto you, you go into your morph ball, <laughs> and then like you're a little ball, and they're kind of a little ball and they're like latched onto you and you're like get get, get off of me <laughs> so you have to lay like your tiny little morph ball bombs and it kind of boops them off of you and then you shoot them to death uh but the metroids in their youngest form so cute little jelly monster creatures adorable who just wouldn't cut right up with just want to cuddle right up with them as you have to electrocute them to get off of you oh god <laughs> <laughs> some of the new features that the game introduces that do kind of uh flow into this more ambiguous territory, at least in terms of my uh, personal opinion on them, is the combat mechanics are vastly different, I would say. One of the key features that Samus Returns introduced that is completely new is this melee counter gameplay, which I personally really enjoyed, with a couple of caveats. So to summarize, the melee um, counter is essentially... All enemies in the game, big and large, big and large, small and large, and medium, uh, sort of have like a tell, I guess, where they'll have this moment in their attack cycle where they briefly notify you in one form or another, be it a sound or a particular shaking movement, that they're about to charge at you. And that charge is very fast. For some enemies, it's a little bit slower. For others, it's faster. But that charge, when they're headed right at you, if you hit the melee counter button, which I think is B on mm-hmm. the on, on the DS, Samus does this very quick, like, upward slash with her gun as opposed to, you know, like, actually shooting at it. So she'll do this quick upward slash, and if you land it and hit the enemy before they can hit you, it basically stuns them. So it does them a ton of nice. damage. It also stuns them, setting it up for a very satisfying blast from your arm cannon. Ooh. And it feels great. But that does feel Good. It's one, I mean, when you land it and it goes well, for the smaller enemies, it can instantly kill them. For the bigger enemies, it doesn't, but it still gives you a notable advantage. Mm-hmm. But some enemies are really fast, and if you're not paying attention and you're going from one area of the map to another, and you kind of forgot that an enemy is in some room or it's a new area and you're not familiar with the surroundings, something can charge at you before you're ready to melee counter. And if it gets you, you're going to take a ton of damage, and it's going to suck, and it's going to put you on the defensive rather than the offensive. So the melee counter um, mechanic, I do really enjoy, and it feels fantastic when you're using it, but the fact that is that it's an incorporated part of really every enemy, mm-hmm. I do understand how that could get 
tiresome for some people. Right. Just a little bit of the same thing too many times. But something that I think that the game did really well is that in the later game, and this is not really a, this isn't really a spoiler territory because I'm not I'm not going to name names. Some of the later game bosses and enemies more or less have a feign attack where Ooh. they'll do their motion like they like their tell but they don't follow through on it. So if you're Tricky. if you're melee countering, but that's not actually what they did, and then they do something else that you weren't prepared for, you're dead. You're going to take a crap ton of damage. Mm -hmm. You might not actually die from it, but it's definitely inconvenient. So this is a really good example of a platformer that relies very heavily on literal reflexive response times and reading enemy movements. Nice. That's like the that's the core of Metroid. I think as a whole is combat, enemy movements and your responses to them. And I feel like Samus Returns did that in spades. The one thing that I will say that I found to be really annoying and I think this is true for a lot of games that I've played, mm -hmm. so this is not unique to Samus Returns. I hate it when mid-game or random encounter bosses are harder than the end boss. Yeah, we talked I, about this before. I am of the camp that I believe that the final boss should be very much at least on par or more challenging than any other boss you have fought thus far. There is a very specific, I think you encounter it twice, mid-game and then mid-mid-game boss that you fight in Samus Returns. It's this giant mining robot mm -hmm. that is the hardest thing in the game. It is the hardest to beat, both times and it is extremely frustrating and i did rage quit at least once before and then tried to circle back to it um that thing is infuriating hmm. and the fact that it is so much harder than the final boss I, it's not it's obviously not a um it's not a what what's it called when you like won't play it it's not a what's that phrase when you like won't do it uh when you won't do yeah, it anymore i know exactly oh my what god, you're talking why can't about i think of this phrase um, uh deal breaker deal breaker oh my god <laughs> why couldn't i think deal. about it anyways it's not a deal breaker but it is something that i find to be a huge pet peeve and it makes the final boss feel less impactful oh i agree completely because there's nothing worse than like you go through this really hard fight of the the pre-boss boss and you're like oh man that was good i can't wait to see what the final boss is and, and then, then you the final beat boss him is very a letdown. yeah the one example of that that sticks out for me is honestly diablo 3 really yeah huh. there were some bosses in that game that were stupid hard i somehow killed diablo at the end i want to say in one or two tries weak sauce yeah, and I Weak feel like sauce. he should be kicking my ass he should be six ways till sunday your ass yeah exactly you know. so to summarize my experience with Sam Samus Returns, just very briefly, Ultimatum. Samus Returns brings the beloved 2D side-scrolling adventures of Samus into the hands of modern gamers. A-plus right there. Gameplay is fast and feels great with a few not notable frustrating exceptions. The revamped soundtrack and audio effects are to die for. Like, just the sound effects mm -hmm. from the Metroid series are enough to make me, like, just feel so soothed. The enemies are fun and challenging. The exploration factor is amazingly high, uh, mitigated by the fact that the backtracking is made less burdensome with the uh, addition of teleporters. So, Samus Returns, with just a few caveats, I think is an excellent example of what I would consider to be a core game in platformers as a whole. Nice. So, why didn't you finish then? 
I, it's very hard. Very hard. <laughs> I mean, no, I get it. That, that but that's sometimes more often that than not what, to, what forces robot, me to, you know. So I made it past Mining Robot 1, have not yet technically beat Mining Robot 2. And, and it just like keeps hitting the wall every so, time. Yeah. I, yeah. I just no, I I fight it. it and I fight it and I fight it. And I haven't been able to learn its pattern for its second phase mm-hmm. enough yet to be able to win. I will say right up front that that mid-game part two boss was really not fun. Mm-hmm. It's not a fun fight. Um, and caveat to that, to the caveat, that was pre-Hollow Knight. Oh. So now that I've actually gotten what I think are physically, I'm looking at my hands here if you're not looking at the video, and flexing them. Weird flex, bro. Got those reflexes got those ready reflexes. to go. reflexes. I feel like if I tried to do it now, I might I might do a lot better. Which is why, I th- yeah, no, because that's what a lot of times, like when I was f- fighting Dr. Nefarious, is exactly, you just need that break. For some reason, like hitting Sometimes that wall, you just, gotta you just take need a that break, reset man. Yeah. of the break. And that like somehow opens your eyes to this new way and i also had to take breaks from hollow knight yeah you know i didn't beat it all in one oh, hollow knight's gonna take me a very yeah. long time i mean to i took at least a month of a break maybe even more and then came back to it and beat it mm-hmm. so i think i just need to circle back again to samus returns because overall it is a great gameplay experience and i really would recommend it to any fan of platformers or the metroid games period nice, nice. very cool so like i said like i definitely kind of missed the Sam, the Metroid series the as Samus a whole. Games? The Samus games, yes. No, the, the Metroid Samus. <laughs> <laughs> but like, they do sound like very cool ones, and and honestly, like, I see a lot of parallels. It might be fun for me to go back and play this because I kind of see parallels in Samus, especially with you know eradicating the Metroid, like in and because I've played games like Guacamelee where they have the Chozo statues. Not wait, wait, how do you say them in Metroid? I say Kozo. Kozo, yeah. In in Guacamelee, they have Chozo statues that give See, you stuff. See, it might but then technically it's also be fun. pronounced Chozo, but I don't say it that way because I think it sounds stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's also like like what I said with the flood from Halo with the with the uh, the Metroids. It's like it's kind of cool to see these parallels that this older game of Metroid has influenced some of these newer ones. That's fun to see. I mean, Metroid is one of the most iconic platformers. Really, of all time. Oh, yeah. Which I is mean, why I'm it's, reconsidering it's and thinking it's I need to go back oldest, and play. It's one of the oldest. It's one of the most established. So it's no surprise that it would make either of our lists. Yeah. But yeah, I think that in terms of the combat being the more predominant feature over the very minor puzzling, mm-hmm. I think you would enjoy it. Nice. Nice. I forgot to realize, I did forget to circle back around when we were talking about Ratchet and Clank, but the Sheepinator. The Sheepinator! The the name implies what it does. It turns your enemies into sheep. I do appreciate that Ratchet and Clank is like, we're going to tell you what it does right in the name. Oh, that's pretty much what all of them do. It's great. The Sheepinator, the Pixelator, it literally makes them look like 8-bit pixels from straight from Galaga or Space Invader or something like that. Oh, the Sheepinator. The Sheepinator's great because they're like, meh, everywhere as they're like jumping around. It's it's great fun. I mean, that's what I mean. Like, the story Ratchet and Clank is is a decent story, but honestly, though, for me, platformers and what makes platformers so fun is it's hardly ever the story that makes me want to come back oh, to yeah. it. It's always the the gameplay things, and the one that sealed it for Ratchet and Clank for me was all the different gunplay and how, how much. Samus Returns has negative one story. It's got nothing <laughs> going on there, but that doesn't hurt my enjoyment of it at all because the gameplay is so smooth and so enjoyable that it's still a top tier experience. 
awesome. Platformers, man. Platformers. They're great. One of our And favorites. that's one of the things that made us want to do this series is I realized through the discussion and talking with Mogan, I was like, we're playing a lot of platformers right now, but we're not talking about them. And so I felt like this is why we're coming back. We're doing this series on platforms. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm and excited. of course, we'd love to know what some of your favorite platformers were. If we touch on one that you really love, let us know what you think about it. If we touch on one and you're like, man, I really hate that platformer, let us know about that too. We'd love to hear from everyone. You can send us an email at teamchatpodcast at gmail.com or comment below in any of the audio or video versions right on our Facebook send us a tweet Instagram message anything you can find us there and get in contact with us that way yes and even if you're not a paid patron you can still join the general discord, discord. yes yes that's one of the best ways to let us know your it's open to everyone feelings. except for the rogues gallery channel yes. that's what's locked for the patrons to give them a little bit of exclusivity for in return for their wonderful help in helping us produce and put on this show before we go, though, we do have to give another update. Don't forget to go and enter our Last of Us Volume 2 original score vinyl giveaway. It's a record of the set. It's a huge, long, longly long name, and I don't like how many words it requires to say what it is, but it's a record of the soundtrack for The Last of Us Left Behind DLC. So we're giving that away. Check out our website. Check out our social media. You can find the links, and I'll put be sure to put the link in the description of this video, too, so you can go and find that and sign up in your chance to win. Before we go, too, we do have to do our soundtrack spotlight, which this week we're featuring music from Ratchet & Clank. Like I said, composed by Michael Bross, the track that we are going to feature is the title screen theme which for is a epic sounding space it actually like it when you think of like space superhero that's what the soundtrack for ratchet and right Clank in. sounds like i think like. i know exactly what you're talking about it's already like, yeah <laughs> so that is what the music of this one it's great orchestral epic sense of heroism that you're about to With like a theremin in the background yeah yeah just making it sound spacey yeah make it sound like space <laughs> <laughs> so again title screen theme from ratchet and clank by michael bross but with that that brings this episode of team chat podcast to a close until next time i'm one of your hosts jared wilson joined by rachel mogan adios we'll see you all next time <laughs> <laughs>